So let's just re 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 rewind to Baskerville Hall. Wait, what, what will we do, Matt? What will we do? We're going to re 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 rewind to Baskerville Hall. The funny thing is about this mire as well. It, it, there also seems to be a, a pony has wandered in and dies slowly, and no one thinks to sort of try and fish it out. Even like a pony, which is not like an unvaluable animal, but everybody's just like, oh, it's gone in the mud. Yeah, but we could go out there and we could we could get it. You know, let's get it. It's a horse. Said, no, no, it's in the mud. It's all over now. It, the mud, the mud has taken him. Come, come away. They hear this spooky moan, which sounds possibly like a hound. Thank you very much. Sorry, I had that on deck ready for you as well. Hello and welcome to the second part of Shark Liver Oil's read-through of A Hound of the Baskervilles by Arthur Conan Doyle. Featuring, of course, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. Uh, yes, The Hound of the Baskervilles, or as it may also come to be known... One man's search for as many cranial measurements as possible. <laughs> as we will return to. The later insane on. phlebotomist. Yeah. <laughs> Phrenologist. Uh, yeah. So uh, this is this is the second part. Today we're reading from uh, I think it's chapter six, which is called Baskerville Hall. Um, as far as a, a great cliffhanger chapter to end on. Um, chapter 11, Death on the Moor. Oh, this fucking killed me, this one. I was yeah. like, you know how you can see yourself coming down to, well, I don't know if anybody else other than you and me has this experience, but where you can see yourself coming down to where you know you're going to stop reading and you're like, oh, this is really tense. This is really <laughs> tense. I'm going to have to wait a fucking week to get any resolution on this. Ah! <laughs> Damn it, Doyle. Yeah. If it's any consolation, there is a sort of a big reveal right at the end of this part as well, which is quite good. That's I, true. I was, I was whooping when I heard it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we'll come to that. Um, Excellent. So let's just re 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 rewind to Baskerville Hall. <laughs> what, what, what will we do, Matt? What will we do? We're going to re 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 rewind to Baskerville Hall. Rewind. So when we last left uh, uh, Dr. Watson and, uh, and Sherlock Holmes, uh, Holmes was staying in London to deal with some case possibly to do with the Pope. <laughs> and he was sending Watson, without really discussing it with him, to Baskerville Hall. So Watson's very much going on this sort of fact-finding mission. Uh, Holmes says he should observe the Barrymores, the two, sort of the butler and his wife, mm. and find out a bit more about the other people knocking about, which seems quite a long list. You've got like two farmhands, a groom, Dr. Mortimer, Mrs. Dr. Mortimer, some other neighbours, a <laughs> sister, etc., etc. Um, he also says to Watson, keep your revolver with you. To which he sh- Watson should have replied, yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, isn't it? That's being sent off into the unknown by somebody who would definitely be better at this than you are. And he's saying, I've got to stay here because your safety is not that important to me. But keep a gun and, uh, <laughs> and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, especially like that Alan Partridge. No offence, but basically your life isn't worth saving. <laughs> <laughs> ah, no, I think this is this is a, a rich seam that we can investigate here. How many similarities can we find between Sherlock Holmes and Alan Partridge? Because I bet you there'll be more than a few. <laughs> Technically, Dr. Watson, your life isn't worth insuring. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, he also has some words of advice for Sir Henry, the uh, the new owner of Baskerville Hall, and it's very much along the same lines of what a lot of other people have been saying to him: stay away from the moors at night. Um, but I think Holmes is more like, regardless of whether there's anything supernatural going on, there's obviously something dangerous to you, so stay yeah, away. There's something fucked up to be going on there. 
Yeah. Uh, we have this train ride, nice classic Victorian train ride, sort of yeah. Harry Potter style without the magic. Takes um, about a year and a half, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so Henry um, has this real attachment to the sort of uh, countryside that he grew up in when he sort of when they when they're on the train going past it all, mm. and uh, Doctor <laughs> Doctor Mortimer won't let it go. He puts this down to uh, Sir Henry's Keltish skull. <laughs> Not even like Keltish cultural inheritance, Keltish no, no, no. upbringing in, in some sense. No, no, no. It's that weird Welsh looking lump on the back half of your skull, mate. That's what's caused this. Of course. Yeah. I love Victorian <laughs> pseudoscience, don't you? Like that bit where, you know, that sort of Frankenstein nonsense where he's like, if I can harness lightning, maybe I can create a machine that will create love. And everybody goes, well, that seems like a reasonable hypothesis. It's not at all a category error there. No, that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you gotta love it. Um, they, they arrive in uh, the countryside village uh, where the train finally stops, and on the road uh, to Baskerville Hall, there's a soldier on lookout, and it's because there's an escaped convict on the loose. So if things weren't bad enough, you've already got a, a ghost <laughs> hound knocking about. There's an escaped convict. And he's the no, no, notorious Selden, the Notting Hill murderer. <gasps> Yeah. I, I, I love this stuff because it's also like it is really well written like it, it deserves its status as the most adapted piece of fiction in, in the 20th century so yeah. it does deserve that but it is also a little bit like you can see how there would be a whole market full of people doing stuff like this and wondering why they weren't as rich as Arthur Conan Doyle being like <laughs> yeah, and then there just happened to be an escaped convict in the I wonder if that will be at all related to what's happening <laughs> Yeah, again, I come back to this. It's strange. Um, it is sort of setting out pieces um, that in the way that crime novels often do, in the, almost exactly the same way that uh, it happened in Poirot with Agatha Christie. But for some reason, I just enjoy this so much more. Mm. Um, I can't really explain why, though. I'll, I'll think about that as we as we go on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, this guy, yeah, the Selden, the, the Notting Hill murderer, um, he's, he must be, he's one of the worst because he, he was going to get killed. He was going to get the old death penalty, which was still around in the uh, in the Victorian times in uh, in Great Britain. Yeah. Uh, but he's had that sort of revoked because on grounds of sanity. So uh, it couldn't get any worse for like who's going to escape. If you're going to pick one person that you didn't want to escape, it's probably this guy. Him, him, he's too mental to kill, they said of him. I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> the um, They get to Baskerville Hall and we get our first introduction to it. And the great thing about Baskerville Hall is it's almost a character in itself, isn't it? It's yes, this spooky, yeah. ivy-covered mansion. Yeah. Um, and then they spend some time in the dining room a bit later on this evening. And it just feels just imposing, doesn't it? And yeah. uncomfortable. Eldritch, to be sure. Yes. But, but... I think you could go to, like, a wacky warehouse and if somebody had been telling you for the five days before then that it, this was the place that was going to kill you and everybody with your last name had been horribly killed there by a, a, a massive hound that runs on tiptoes for some reason, um, <laughs> that you would probably find it a little bit imposing, right? I mean, you could go to a... Well, I mean, a circus isn't a good example because they are a bit weird, but, you know, like a, 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 a watercolour class full of grandmas and you'd still find it a little bit intimidating if somebody had said, <laughs> one of those grandmas, escape mental place and just going to have you, just going <laughs> to stab you in the face with the, the, the blunt end of a paintbrush. 
Yeah, beat you over the head with her little trolley on wheels. Yo, don't, man. Oh, no, it's oh, it's horrible. Oh, what a way to go. <laughs> Tell you what, the thing that really just put the cherry on the cake for the uneasiness in this in this room, especially in the dining room, is it's a big old-fashioned dining room with a minstrel gallery, which is basically, like a, I think, a balcony where, like, musicians are used to play. It, like in the fucking Red Wedding? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> How did I miss that? Unbelievable! Oh, <laughs> so as soon as as soon as that was mentioned, I'm in my head. I'm just hearing. <laughs> Which is, uh, the, if case you don't know, the song of. The Lannisters. Yeah, what is it? The uh, Reigns of Castamere. Um, the Reigns of Castamere. That's right. That's oh man. How oh oh shit. This you see. This just became ninety percent creepier as a result of having a place where minstrels can sit and play chirpy tunes. And now I'm like, no, a murder hole. This definitely a murder hole. <laughs> yeah. Um, they also meet uh, the, the the butlers, so uh, Barry the Barrymores, and um, it turns out that they're, they're planning to. What are you laughing at? Barrymore, sorry, I can't not. I just, I bet they've got really chirpy dispositions as well, haven't they, the Barrymores? But but yeah. subtly melancholic. Yeah, well, they're planning to leave uh, because the death of her, their masters come as a bit of a big shock. They've also got a bit of money out of it. Yeah, um, maybe related, maybe not. Maybe, maybe, maybe related to the death, eh? Eh? Yeah. I don't trust yeah. these. I Ooh. don't trust them. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, the chapter ends with uh, with Watson uh, looking out onto the moors that evening, and um, and yeah, it just he see what is it? Hang on a minute. Yeah, he he hears the sound of a crying woman somewhere in the house, oh, and he he wonders word. what's going on here. Which oh. We all Oh, man. Right. Um, here's the thing. Have you ever had reason to spend a night in a, in a, like a big old house with very few people in it? Uh, yeah, probably. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that, again, that is an environment that could not be better. Like, it's like machine-tooled to be full of weird creaking noises that could just, on the edge of hearing, maybe turn into a sob. And that's bad enough. But then if you actually hear somebody crying in the darkness, that is, that is fuck you up for life material, that, isn't it? It's not going to make for a comfortable night's sleep, is it? No, it's not. And I, but I, it might make for a future as a horror writer like Stephen King or Garth Marenghi. <laughs> oh, I'll put those two in the same category. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like how right. I did that? Just wind you up a little bit. Just to, one of the most successful and, and, uh, and accomplished authors of the 20th century and Garth Marenghi. <laughs> the, um, okay, let's move on to the Stapletons of Merry Pit House, the next chapter. Mm. So it's, um, it's actually much nicer in the morning in the dining room. It's actually quite a cheery place when it's... Well, I suppose it's if I say it's cheery, but it's, it's a more comfortable place. <laughs> less, less existentially terrifying, let's say. Yeah, it's obviously Barrymore. It's obvious that Barrymore's wife's been crying, but uh, mm. Barrymore sort of says that isn't the case. So that's a bit strange. Mm. Um, 
Now, Dr. Watson's first investigation that he does is he goes to see the postmaster around the corner from Baskerville House to find out more about this telegram that was delivered. Oh, yeah, where they were trying to work out whether the person who was nicking his boots in town might be Barrymore because because of his robust sense of physical comedy. Yeah. Um, And they, yeah, to find out, they sent this telegram and the uh, word came back that the telegram had been given to Barrymore so he must be up there it turns out the telegram was actually given to his wife who said oh I'll, I'll go and give it him he's upstairs so mm. that leaves a, a a sort of a an area of possibility there that maybe he wasn't and she could have been lying mm. we'll mm. see yeah um they so he meets Mr Stapleton on the road Watson uh, who's this guy <laughs> they're all a bit odd aren't they this guy's uh runs around with a like a in like a butterfly catching nets all day <laughs> to get interesting insects. <laughs> I, I, I don't know about you, but wasn't this just this whole sort of you know let's meet the meet the county set kind of thing that he does here? Just a, <laughs> like having having a very strange cross cultural experience with your own culture because yeah. this is Devon, right, where I've been many times, and 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 yet. You know, because of how class worked back then, it was perfectly normal for somebody to be, you know, wealthy enough to own a house and have all the spare time in the universe they wanted to go running around in this, like, extraordinarily hazardous environment with a butterfly net chasing butterflies. And everybody's just like, oh, he's the butterfly chap. Yes. No, no. Because it's perfectly reasonable he'd be astonishingly wealthy. No, 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 no. It's wonderful. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah, yeah, it is very odd, isn't it? And everybody, there's there's no one who isn't a bit strange actually um in this uh, in the countryside setting. Yeah. Um Mr. Tapleson says that for throws his two penithin says he thinks that um the uh, the ex the now deceased owner of Baskerville Hall believed the story about the hound saw mm. a dog on the moor and then had a heart attack and that's what killed him. Mm. And Stapleton's also really interested in where Watson's going with this is like, you know, can I help what are your theories and all this? And yeah. Watson thinks it's a bit too keen here. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Which is, I mean, it was so within the boundaries of a novel like this, obviously you are a bit like, Oh yeah. Bit interested in the, in the investigation. Are you Sonny volunteering to look after the crucial evidence? <laughs> Indeed. Um, but in real life, actually, if, if you lived in a place that's as described as being as desolate as this is, and you were so bored that you turned to, butterfly catching in it again because he, he says doesn't he like if you if i run out if you just run out on the moor then it's made out of pits that will just swallow you whole sort of thing yeah there's a particular place isn't there a, a mire um where he's, he he warns watson not to go yeah and I, I, and that's another thing that i loved actually as well was the fact that this is from an era where the the, the english landscape wasn't just one big back garden where there was still a sense of mystery about it. Whereas for me, I'm like, no, that happens elsewhere. All of the Myers <laughs> that might eat people have been concreted over. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. that's just not going to happen again. But you can well imagine if, if your idea of a good time, if the only thing you can find to have fun in this place is toying with your life by risking not an adrenaline-soaked death of I'm truly alive before I die, <laughs> but the slow-sucking horror of a bog eating your shoes... <laughs> Right. That's what you do for fun. I could well imagine somebody turns up saying, I'm here to investigate the hound. Woo! 
but you'd be like, I will do whatever you ask me to do. What do you need? You want me to clean your feet with a toothbrush? Not a problem. I'm there for you. What do you need? Wake up at two o'clock in the morning to, to bring you, you know, cold water over broken glass? I'm there for you. Just please give me something to do. <laughs> the funny thing is about this mire as well, it, it, it surrounds a hill, which uh, Watson's warned away from. But um, there also seems to be a, a pony has wandered in and dies slowly and no yeah. one thinks to sort of try and fish it out so I was like oh it's a shame yeah. <laughs> just leave it to it's, it that's it isn't it like so imposing is this landscape that even like a pony which is not like an unvaluable animal quite apart from considerations of being humane to animals you know yeah. like that represents a certain amount of cash but everybody's just like oh it's gone in the mud yeah, but we could go out there and we could we could get it. We could, you know, let's get some planks together and and you know, you know, spread the weight over a large surface area, less pressure. You know, let's get it. It's a horse. Like, no, no, it's in the mud. It's all over now. It's it's done. <laughs> the mud the mud has taken him. He's only up to his ankles. No, it is done. Come, even, come away. Even stranger, considering five minutes later here after they discuss that. Uh, Mr. Stapleton literally runs off into the into the mire because yeah. he sees a butterfly he wants to catch. <laughs> uh, yeah, and um, by the way, I'm, I'm no expert in butterfly catching. So what, what's his end game there? Like running out into a really hazardous environment with a butterfly net to catch a butterfly, and then what? <laughs> Keep it in a jar. It's not going to last very long, is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's th- this happens immediately after two interesting extra things one is that they hear this spooky moan which sounds possibly like a hound thank you very much i had that on deck ready for you as well (laughs) Uh, there's also um they look out over another part of the moor which is this ancient sort of neolithic village where all these sort of like prehistoric well not prehistoric but you know um Pre uh, historic, no, yeah, yeah, prehistoric. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, I got mixed up with. Um, anyway, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's some Neolithic village where yeah. uh, these early man has lived. Yeah, um, which I love. This is a brilliant, like, extra touch that really added. It, it's sort of like the the British version of an ancient Indian burial ground. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! That's exactly what it is, isn't it? That's the yeah. Damn, how did I not recognise that? Because I, I just got really into being a, like a history geek about it and being like, because I was, it's like, um, um, uh, oh, the place in the Orkneys, the Shetlands, one of those two. Yeah, yeah, yeah whose where, name where I've completely of, forgotten. Yeah. With the sort of early, early man sort of... Yeah, uh, where they, they, you know, literally it's just, it's almost a completely preserved village, but from 4,000 years ago sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, and it was also kind of sad because that is fairly well preserved um, in the north of Scotland. Uh, but if there was actually such a Neolithic village to be found on any more anywhere in Devon, I think we all know that there would be a children's funfair ride built around it <laughs> through the window panes by now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, and a cafe next door. And a cafe next door, which will serve, serve you a cup of coffee for four pound fifty. Yeah. So Mr. Stapleton runs off um, after this butterfly into the mire, um, and then while Watson stands alone, um, sexy Miss Stapleton arrives. <laughs> that's and, that's uh, not her name, though. <laughs> that's that. That's what Watson thinks of her when he first claps eyes on on do the girl. You, do you have some new version of this where they've updated the language a bit? 
Wait, because to me, he was all very kind of buttoned up. Was, oh, Miss Stapleton, oh, very, very comely. How, how, how delightful. <laughs> oh, look, uh, let, let us discuss the Book of Common Prayer at extraordinary length now, because I am an Englishman. Whereas, it sounds to me like your version of it, Adam, going, hello, darling. All right, now, I, uh, you look well good in that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. No, I was definitely getting shades of Barry White as she arrived. Oh, uh, hello. Oh, well, that's, um, that is a lot classier than my version of it, isn't it? I'd rather, it, rather Barry White than the standard London builder. But it's funny with Watson because, um, seeing as we're on this, he goes to interview another woman a bit later on, um, and he, he thinks roughly the same thing again. I always get the feeling that Watson's a little bit sexually frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a, the character of Watson is just a very subtle indictment by Arthur Conan Doyle of the kind of straight-laced Victorian society which society which he um, which he inhabited. Um, yeah, mind, mind you, actually, this is a bit of a sidebar, but I, I had reason over the holidays. Or I had uh, no no option but to read a um, uh, an, in, an Inspector Morse novel, which is of course full of middle-aged men who should really be retired by now, talking like they're still in the Victorian era. And yeah. um, and they're all they was fucking full of it as well. Just these old fellas who who were like kind of like oh, it's perfectly normal to kind of talk about how how delightful that young lady is and having the phrase erotic daydream came up more than once. Right, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Inspector Morse murder mystery novel erotic daydream was the phrase used more than once. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually think perhaps the doctor. Well, the most preferable approach is you know act with respect towards women. Let's say that. Right, yeah. But in terms of if it's a choice between the Hound of the Baskervilles and um, uh, the Way Through the Woods was the name of this uh, Morse book, um, I would much rather the uptight Victorian version rather than the just liberated enough to be actively dangerous kind of version, <laughs> which you get in that sort of this was perfectly normal in 1992 kind of vibe. Yeah. Yeah, it it just just struck me because he yeah he, he seems to be to find both he, he only meets three women so far in this, uh, two of them he finds very attractive, and the other one is Mrs Barrymore who, uh, it can be described if you described her body type it would be cube, so, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? She's like heavy set, yeah yeah like, yeah, stocky yeah. woman, yes, so yes. like middle aged woman, so yeah. Uh, you know, it just seems like anyone re- remotely attractive. Watson's like, hmm, she's she's all right. Yeah, I mean, it is a bit like, you know, one one begins to think that perhaps um, that you know perhaps the um, <laughs> sorry, I forgot what I was going to say. What? <laughs> hang on. Um, one one begins to think that you know perhaps the the um, the uh, Mary, the character who finally marries him, it's just sort of sort of in, uh, almost like an angel of self sacrifice. Just sort of getting him off the market for the sake of every other poor girl. You know what I mean? Like, John, stop rubbing your thighs, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, and, and to finally put to bed those rumours about Watson and Holmes. As well. <laughs> yeah, those rumours are never going to go to bed. Holmes and Watson, on the other hand, eh? Eh? <laughs> um, so, sexy Mrs. Stapleton, uh, Miss Stapleton, let's get that right, comes over um, and she, she, warns, she warns Watson to go back go away um, to London and then she realises that he isn't who she thinks she, she thinks she's talking to Sir Henry yeah. and when he explains who he is she's like oh okay no, never mind that yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can stay just him just he I want him to fuck right off everybody else can stay that's fine but him yeah. uh, Mr Stapleton returns to uh, 
invite Watson over to look through his uh, Lepidoptera collection, and Watson quite wisely manages to get it get out of that. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Victorian um, version of yeah, yeah. Let's let, no, let's let's do let's make that plan. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah. Sure. I'm not really, I'm a bit busy, a bit busy at the moment, but yeah. later, sure. <laughs> to, to, to see you what? Um, oh, oh, I'm busy. I, I'm really busy. <laughs> when, when, when is it? When is it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Really Sorry, yeah, you know, I'm busy. Sorry, busy forever <laughs> and ever. I'm, I'm doing anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I am doing literally anything else. I hear there's some sort of horrifying eldritch monster from beyond that kills people in the middle of the night. I will be out where it lives looking for it at that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so the, the last little thing to say about this chapter is it's clear that uh, Miss Stapleton is worried about Sir Henry coming coming to live on Baskerville Hall but Mrs Stapleton is a says, think, thinks it's a you know appreciates it's dangerous but thinks it's good for the community that there's someone living there again so obviously mm. Mm. Um, the next chapter is the first report of Dr Watson we, we slip now into uh from the first person perspective into these letter well into these letters written to Holmes from Watson mm. sort of his reports um he gives a he, he starts with a few thoughts on these ancient people who lived in the old um ancient village mm. uh i quite like how he thinks that you know obviously the ground around here is very boggy and very poor so mm. he assumes that they were sort of a fairly sad, miserable group who maybe were a bit unwarlike, so had to just take the the only just take the area that, was, that wasn't that nobody else was taking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, there's there's rumours that the escaped convict, the Notting Hill murderer, uh, has. <laughs> has like, Every time you say that, you get more like General Melchit, don't you? That's what you. That's yeah. what you're doing. A Flanders yeah. pigeon murderer. <laughs> it turns out he's uh, he's left the area. Well, they think he's left the area because there's no sign of him eating any food. So um, Watson sees that as a bit of a uh, a bit of a relief because he's worried about the Stapletons because it's just sort of some old guy who works there, and then Mister Stapleton, who isn't the most physically robust man in the world, and his <laughs> wife, oh, his wife, his sister, jeez, his sister. <laughs> it's not Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> 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 Sorry. It, it is a bit Pride and Prejudice, though, isn't it? It's Pride and Prejudice with ghosts, basically, is what this is, and serial killers. Um, Watson recounts how they visited the old, the scene of the crime, so um, where uh, Sir Charles died. Um, it's clearly very creepy. Uh, Henry, Sir Henry's clearly very worried about this, and he's, um, he's asking more and more about this legend. And... Sir Henry and um, Mrs. Stapleton have met, and it looks like there's a bit of romance on the cards, maybe? Mm. Poor Watson. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, now that we've tagged Watson, quite frankly, for a potential sex pest, I'm less happy about that than I otherwise <laughs> would have been. <laughs> oh, it turns out that uh, Dr. Mortimer, he just pops up here. Um, it just, just With his calipers. Line. Well, it says he's particularly excited about a prehistoric skull that he's found. <laughs> Bloody and hell. he started digging up. What is, so, like, what, what does he hope to learn from a prehistoric skull? Because I thought the point of um, phrenology is you look at how somebody acts and then you measure their head and you gather data and correlation implies causation and somebody with a lumpy bit on, you know, 
on the front mm. is more likely to enjoy cheese or something. I don't whatever it is, right? But you have to have observed behaviour in order to gather your data. What's going to do with a prehistoric skull? You measure it and then be like, ah, oh, I see this man enjoyed being immersed in mud for many millennia before being <laughs> refound by amateur archaeologists. What? Yeah. Well, I suppose if you have enough data about people who you can observe, observe yeah. then you can sort of find a skull and create theories around <laughs> what these people are. That was, that was like that thing they did a while ago, wasn't it? Where they did, um, they, with great fanfare, announced that they'd found out what Jesus Christ looked like. And what they'd actually done was they just got a skull from roughly the 300-year period in which Jesus lived in roughly the same part of the world and mm. done face reconstruction on it until you saw his face. So it wasn't, this is what Jesus looks like. It's, this is what a Middle Eastern male of that era, roughly, probably might have looked like if his face <laughs> was made out of plasticine. Like, Yeah. <laughs> if his face was made out of plasticine. That's really cruel. <laughs> it, is, it did not look good either. It was the cheap. It was the cheap museum that your, your teachers take you to because nobody can be asked taking you all down to London to see the Natural History Museum. It was that sort of level of reconstruction. <laughs> that was what you took away from it. That was the, know, the, the people in the Jesus times. They all had faces made of plastic. <laughs> <laughs> it was extraordinary. There's some sort of weird change in in skin type that occurred in the 2,000 years since. Anyway, fascinating. <laughs> Tell you what. What I've learned today. Hey. <laughs> Oh, we meet another new neighbour and get ready for another another freak. Um, this guy is apparently Mr. Franklin. He's likable enough, but um, despite the fact that he seems to continuously be fighting legal cases just because he <laughs> enjoys it. So he, he, he's basically that neighbour who's always sort of having an argument over planning permission. Yeah, <laughs> the other one. yeah, the one, the one who's measuring exactly how far to each side of the line your fen- your hedges fall in order to prepare a sworn affidavit about how how much you've taken away his millimetres of air. Yeah. That bloke. <laughs> that bloke. That, I found this quite funny because clearly that strand of, like, obstreperous wanker behaviour has been a part of the British kind of character set for far longer than I would otherwise be minded to assume. Like, we, it doesn't matter. Even before the semi-detached house was invented, the kind of person who argues about how far across the top of the eaves your paint goes on a semi-detached house, existed. That man, that man existed before there was a house for him to worry about, right? Yeah. Um, so while that was entertaining, I was a little bit disappointed that, 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 you know, that new characters keep coming in and they're all really odd. Like, that there's not <laughs> one normal person who's in the middle of all of this going, what the shivering fuck? What's it? Is it just me or is everybody else around here really weird? Um, which reminded me of, um, have you watched Parks and Recreation? Parks and Rec? Uh, no, I haven't. I've heard oh, it's very good. Matt, you, you, you absolutely must. It's, it's, my, it's my, um, my, my favourite TV show of the moment. And even I'm six years behind the time. So it started in 2009. But um, mm. uh, like, I'm really enjoying it. But there is this one character who gets introduced into this kind of carnival of quite strange people. Um, and his role is literally just to do takes to the camera and shrug and be like, what, what the fuck are you doing? Why, what, what is this? What, what? And I want that character. I want comic, I want the comic relief kind of normal person in this. <laughs> yeah. I suppose Watson is an out, is that? Yeah, but he's, he, but, but he's not anymore though, is he? We've, we've, we've in, in no seconds flat managed to debase the character of Dr. Watson, one of the most <laughs> beloved characters in Victorian literature into a thigh rubbing sex pest. <laughs> <laughs> That's the shark liver oil way. <laughs> Character assassination. 
sullying your idols since 2013. Coming soon, be... the Harry Potter series. That should be our tagline, fictional character assassination. <laughs> yes! Yes, Brett, I'm putting that on the Twitter account. Done. Done. Um, yeah. So um, we, we find out a bit more about the uh, this telegram mystery where they, they question Mrs. Barrymore to see if she's going to, you know, lie and say, oh, yeah, um, my husband got the telegram, you know, to try and put him in the clear. But she doesn't. She says, oh, yeah, he was upstairs and I took it for him. And mm. so they think, oh, maybe maybe it was legit that then. Seems legit. Yeah, but, he's, um, but there's just enough doubt for you to be like, hmm, they're in it together, mm. are they? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then... Two, two o'clock in the morning, uh, Watson is awoken by someone creeping around. And it turns out it's Barrymore, the butler. Um, and he's he sneaks to this window and looks out with a candle and watches the moor. Mm. And that's all he does. Pretty weird. That is pretty weird. That is pretty, pretty weird. I mean, I, I don't know. Good stars to be seen from there, are there? <laughs> Yeah, and you can see them all the better by creating a light source right next to your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I must make sure I'm appropriately but atmospherically illuminated. <laughs> um, okay, uh, the next chapter, The Light Upon the Moor. Let's find out more about this. Um, mm. This is 48 hours later now, um, sort of looking back on what's happened in the last couple of days. Um, now, Watson finds out that this window overlooked the moor. Uh, it's the only one that does, has a really good view of the moor, so that's obviously you can you can assume that's what he, uh, Barrymore was looking at. Yeah. Um, so Henry wants to head out onto the moor alone, which is specifically what Holmes warned Watson to not let him do. Um, Watson lets him head out on his own because basically he's saying, "Look, I'm off to you know I'm on the pull. I'm off to sea." <laughs> Miss, Sta- Miss Stapleton, so Tearing can you leave me, me to it? And Watson yeah. sort of lets him go and then thinks, oh shit, is that really good enough reason to let yeah, him to on his own? Look, Watson, the bro code is not a good enough reason to let this, <laughs> this potential murder victim out of your sight, all right? It's just not good enough. <laughs> so uh, Watson does come to that conclusion, but obviously uh, Sir Henry's already left, so he goes to follow him and he observes from the top of this hill um, that the Stapleton, Miss Stapleton and uh, Sir Henry are meeting together, um, having some kind of discussion. And then Mr. Stapleton turns up all angry that his sister's um, meeting this guy, basically does his classic big brother, you stay away from my sister. Oh, he's great, Um, isn't it? Right back to high school. Yeah. No, there's no no kind of... Well, I, 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 I rather, really rather, if you, if you just did that, mind him so much, if you no, no, no shagging, please. He, he doesn't. None of that goes straight to you. Stay the fuck away from her, all right? Or I'll fucking have you. He goes full Ray Winston. It's great. Yeah. So Watson, after after uh, the Stapletons departs, Watson goes down to have a, have a word with Sir Henry, and Sir Henry, what it turns out what's happened, and he's typically forward way. Sir Henry has no other gear other than full speed ahead, does he? <laughs> he um, he's basically met up with her and said, "Look, why don't you marry me?" Um, and she's continued the line of, "You must get out of here. It's dangerous for you." And he mm. says, "I've got a idea." That benefits us all then. Why don't you marry me and we both move away? And uh, 
Mr. Stapleton is obviously dead set against that for some reason. We don't know why. Yeah. Yeah, yet another thing which you absolutely must do. No, I couldn't possibly tell you why. Why would you want me to give you reasons? Just trust me and don't do it. Yeah. Why would you be less than, less than pleased about your sister, who you've been with for however many years and love more than anything else, going away with some mysterious man who she only met a week ago? Yeah. <laughs> and he's decided he wants to marry her and take her away. <laughs> but in the, I suppose the... the Sort of in the time that was a bit more normal, I suppose. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think why um, no one would immediately assume that that was a perfectly normal reaction to have to someone who's only just suddenly appeared on the scene. Yeah, that's true. A, a yeah, that's sort true. of protective Although, brother. Yeah, but I mean, but then again, it's not as if he's sort of overburdened with um, with opportunities for her to, you know, find a husband if that's what she's yeah, looking for. True. You know, like Pride and Prejudice style. Ex- this is exactly it. This actually, I to digress for a second. I watched the first episode of BBC Pride and Prejudice for the first time last night, and um, mm. and I just couldn't, I just could not stop hearing "Get Married or Die Trying" in my head, just <laughs> just wrapping it out. Anyway, sorry. Dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is all a bit Pride and Prejudice, isn't it? Um, mm. So I wonder why he is so pissed about that. I mean, is he? You know, has he caught him doing something unspeakable the moment he's walked into town? You know, has he sort of, you know, has he already seen him, seen him trying to cop off with nine different milkmaids or something? Like, why is he so angry? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, as, as an aside, for more on the uh, Pride of Prejudice, uh, just have a look through the back catalogue. There's a four-parter on that that we did probably about a, about a couple of years ago now, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. um, yeah. But moving on with uh, with Sher- with Sherlock Holmes and the Be- Hounds and the Baskervilles and the Watsons and all that, we go back to um, a bit later on at the at Baskerville Hall, where Mister Stapleton turns up to apologise for his reaction and says, "You know, I'm just really protective of my sister." And on second thoughts, sure, it's a great idea that you guys get married, but just give it a three month wait. Yeah. You know, take it a bit slower, and they come to an agreement, uh, Sir Henry and, and Mr. Stapleton. So yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have a bit of a real revelation here at night. Um, so they wait up. Uh, Sir Henry and Watson wait up for two nights to see if they can get any more leads on what's been going on in the house. The first night, no luck at all. The second. This is where they, they finally get something. So yeah. Barrymore's back at the window, creeping past. And again, <laughs> classic Sir Henry, full speed ahead. He just barges in and says, right, what are you up to? <laughs> <laughs> it's no subtlety at all. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. Uh, he, he, is, he is to the, the careful, painstaking work of espionage what Donald Trump is to the nuanced opinion, isn't he? He's just, oh, why would I well, just barge into the room? Yeah, but strangely enough, in this situation, it gets results. They, they they find out that the candle that he's holding is a signal, and there's a light on the moor which has appeared in response. <gasps> so who is it? Watson, being the the repressed ladies' man that he is, immediately assumes that uh, Barry Moore is uh, meeting up with some some woman from the village. <laughs> uh, but Mrs. Barry Moore arrives to to confess that it is it is in fact. Get ready for it. <gasps> the Notting Hill murderer. Because <laughs> it's it's her brother is the escaped convict, and they're uh, they're feeding him um, 
and so the, so when he turns up with his light on the moor, they go out and give him some food. What a twist! What a I, twist! I didn't see this coming at all. To be no. honest, <laughs> although I didn't see this specifically coming, although I did yeah. see some sort of resolution <laughs> to the oh by the way, there's an escaped murderer on the loose storyline. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting yeah. it to come in later, though, because that's the sort of thing that Agatha Christie does in the first chapter and then leaves until the last chapter, and it turns out yeah. it was him, or he's actually the Pope in disguise, or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Henry's response to this, of course, is, right, let's go and get him, and heads out onto the moor to, <laughs> to track this guy down. Yeah. Um, by using the light, obviously. Um, so him and Watson head out towards the light, and um, as they're making their way across the moor, they hear this this weird moan again, the mm. cry of the hound. And you've got to give it to Sir Henry, as soon as he's the guy who everyone says is going to get killed by this thing. Mm. He's like, oh, crap, that sounds really scary. And then, right, well, there's a convict to catch, let's push on. You can't <laughs> you can't fault his bravery, can you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do, I do love that. Like, he kind of goes, oh, I'm terrified, but I am a Victorian male, so I am obliged... <laughs> Clearly, honourable thing, <laughs> and he sort of, you know, sh- shakes the fear out of his moustache and carries on going. Yeah, um, unfortunately for them, um, when they get to the lights, the convict sees them and runs away, and he's pretty, he's pretty fast because they can't keep up with him, and he mm. just sort of dashes off into the moors, yeah, uh, into the darkness. Um, Doctor Watson sort of looks round and sees just in the distance on this tor, which is like a sort of like a rocky hill, isn't it? If you like, yeah, um, yeah. like a rocky outcrop. There's a, another figure, another man standing there, a silhouette. Um, but when he looks again, he's gone. And Watson wants to go and find out a bit more about that. But that's the point where Sir Henry says, "You know, we've pushed our luck far enough. Let's head back for the night." Yeah. But yeah, another lead there, another figure on the moor that isn't the uh, yeah isn't the convict. No, and was there something for you in the description of this figure that it was a bit sort of? I mean, obviously, just the idea of somebody standing there and kind of looking down and going, you know, just not doing anything but just kind of looking, is a bit creepy in that sort of circumstance. But the description of him was as if he was made out of sort of tagliatelle. Just imagine this sort of long, yeah. thin. Kind of with a with a for some reason I imagine him with a Abraham Lincoln stovepipe hat on, just <laughs> looking. Yeah, he knew how to do creepy Arthur Conan Doyle. I'll tell you. Yeah, it made me think of because, um, and, and especially the way you describe it then as well. The the goblin from the goblins who stole a sexton back in uh, uh, the yeah. Charles Dickens book. Just this weird sort of tall, spindly armed, yeah. spindly legged like creature, but yeah. obviously. He thinks it's a man, so we, we all assume it is. Um, uh, although, crossover fan fiction, eh? Yeah. What if he's written this entire thing just as, a, as an homage to uh, Charles Dickens? Genius. And so he puts <laughs> the King Goblin from the Goblins Who Stole a Sexton in his story. <laughs> hey, we're doing some great cross-promotion today. If you want to hear more about the, <laughs> the, the, the sort of... The Goblins Who Stole a Sexton are probably... You probably never heard of it. Oh, well, I hadn't until we read it. It's um, it's basically the the book that Dickens wrote before he wrote A Christmas Carol, and then sort of based. He used it as a sort of. He came back to the idea and turned it into A Christmas Carol. But that was a that was yeah. a book we did last year um, on well the year before on uh, on over Christmas. But yeah. moving on, uh, extract from the diary of Doctor Watson. Um, so this is a. Uh, we sort of get bits and pieces from the next couple of days, which are in diary form. The first one, October the 16th, um, 
at first he's uh, he's writing down his thoughts on whether he thinks this hound mm. that stalks the moors is actually real. Mm. Um, and you get the feeling he really is conflicted because there's a lot of sort of circumstantial evidence to suggest something very strange is going on. But also he's sort of, he's trying to tell himself to remain sort of practical and um, try, and, try and think in the way that Holmes would think this sort of thing out. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other big question at the moment is who was the man on the tour? Um, yeah. On the on, you know the the other mystery per occupant of the moors. Yeah. Um, turns out Barrymore, uh, the butler, isn't happy that Sir Henry and Doctor Watson went after Selden, the convict. Mm. He's, he's he's a bit put out. He's like you know we we told you this, um, and we're trying to protect him, and then you try to get him arrested. It's not really on. <laughs> <laughs> That's and true. It, this is a, a, a fairly spectacular failure of kind of Victorian noblesse oblige, isn't it? <laughs> Although they do have a, a, a counter argument to that, where they say, "Well, you didn't tell us just sort of out of your own volition. We got we got the information out of you, so all bets are off, basically." Which so. is a bit. I think that's a reasonable argument if you would act towards if you would do the same towards somebody who is as wealthy as you are. And if not, that's just being like, well, at a certain point, I don't really have to care about morals or correct conduct or really anything at all to do with your shitty little peasant life. <laughs> right? Now, Barrymore actually pleads with them to say, um, you know, they're arranging to get him out, the, out of the country to get him to on a boat to South America. So don't turn him in and let him go. Um and Dr. Watson and Sir Henry decide that they'll they'll let that happen. Watson's argument for it is, well, it, you know, basically, it'll just save the taxpayer money. Um, we wouldn't have to pay for him in prison anymore. <laughs> which is a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which I thought was very Victorian. It's very uh, yeah, sort of utilitarian, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, we get a little bit of extra. Once, once Watson agrees to that... Um, and Sir Henry Barrymore says, "Right now, you, now you've done something for me. I'm going to give you a bit more information." He knows why Sir Charles was at the gates the night he died, and it was because he'd had a letter from someone with the initials LL. It was a woman asking to meet him. Ooh. Now, now, I'm a bit of a victim, quite frankly, of coming after another 100 and something years of popular culture because the first LL name that dropped into my head there. <laughs> There were two, Matt. There were two. And I'd be interested to know what you thought they were. Um, or what you thought what you thought these initials might stand for. Uh, yeah. but but for me, the first person that dropped into my head was LL Cool J, obviously. Yeah, That's me. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Ladies love Cool James, and so apparently did the last of the Baskervilles. Right? And the other one was Linda Lovelace. Right? Neither of whom, I think, particularly fit the sort of um, métier of this particular novel, the, the mise-en-scène, right? Yeah. Um, so, it's, but now all I can think of is he was out there to meet, you know, this spectacular rapper from Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> and do you think sort of, because he was uh, what looked like on his tiptoes when he died, he was sort of trying to dance along to it? Yeah, no, that's exactly what he's doing. Yeah, LL's throwing sick beats. And the last of the Baskervilles is like, oh yeah, I've got to dance to this, yeah, yeah. White man's overbite going on, giving it, giving it. He's working the shoulders. He's up on his tiptoes, and then he has a heart attack. It's a watertight theory, isn't it? 
Um, we move on to October the 17th. Um, speaking of water, uh, Watson's off for a very rainy walk across the moors. Um, he meets Dr... <laughs> He meets Dr. Mortimer, who for once isn't talking about skull measurements because he's, he's got something to preoccupy himself with. He's lost his dog. Um, his spaniel's run off. And <laughs> and uh, Watson thinks, considering what happened to the pony on the mire, he doesn't think he's going to see him again. <laughs> well, and it's not just that either, is it? It's not only you're not going to see him again, but it's, it's a fairly locked-on bet that any of your neighbours, if they saw your dog with a bit of mud on him struggling, would have been like, no, it's too late, walk away. Walk away. <laughs> Just it's nature's yeah. way, let it happen, walk away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, he finds out from Mortimer that the LL, the only person with the initials LL nearby, is a, a woman called Laura Lyons, who is the daughter of Gemma Franklin, the... Um, the litigation-loving um, <laughs> oddball who lives down the road. Yeah. It's his daughter, who's had a few financial problems of her own. Um, um, so that's a, that's a lead for Watson to follow up. Uh, Dr. Mortimer then starts to question Watson about you know what he knows and where his theories are going, and, and Watson doesn't really see any reason to, to share his thoughts at the moment. Yeah. So he, he manages to turn the conversation towards... Skull measurements to to distract distract Mortimer. He basically questions uh, Mortimer about Franklin's skull measurements, and yeah, that uh, yeah. he, he can't help himself. Doctor Mortimer is off on one thing. <laughs> Doctor, oh, I need a way of distracting him. Uh-huh. Doctor Mortimer, tell me, I notice a man with an interesting shape on his chin. Pertinent. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Um, we find out. Uh, Slightly later on as well, when, when Watson returns, he has a chat with Barrymore again. And turns out the butler knows that there's another man on the moor because Selden has told him. So the convict has bumped into this man who's mm. mysteriously knocking about on the moor as well. Mm. Um, and Barrymore's quite nervous about it. And he says that he's reason to believe that this guy's living in one of the stone houses where mm. the ancient people lived. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So we move on to our last chapter for today, which is The Man on the Tour. Um, and so so Watson's got two things to do here. He wants to f- try and find this guy who's living on the moors and also he wants to go and visit um, LL Cool J. Or <laughs> LL, she's called. Um, what's, what's she really called? I can't oh, Laura Lyons. Laura Lyons. Laura yeah. Lyons. He wants to go and see her. Um, to find out a bit more. So the first stop is, is Coombe Tracy, which is the nearest village, to see um, Laura Lyons. Mm. Uh, Dr. Watson immediately, when he meets her, thinks she's, you know, she's a good-looking woman. <laughs> of course he does. Of course um, well, he's had three pe- He's only met four women in this novel, and he's been like, hello, darling, about three of them. <laughs> uh, to get to the matter of this letter that she sent to Sir Charles, um, and she admits that she has to see him. Um, she talks about this private matter in a letter. Basically, from what I could tell, and it wasn't particularly clear, but she needed some money from Sir Charles, who'd helped her in the past, to um, help her avoid going back to the sort of clutches of this bad husband that she got involved with. Ooh. She needed basically Ooh. what seemed to be money to fight the case to keep her away from him, which is quite a yeah. quite a spectacular way of uh, running a society, isn't it? Yeah, like absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dr. Watson leaves um, after this discussion. 
sort of unhappy and suspicious, basically. He feels there's more to it than what she's said, but he can't work out sort of how to get any more information out of her. She's basically um, admitted to um, asking Sir Charles to be in this place at the time where he ended up dying. Yeah. But, you know, that's as far as Watson can go. So it's, it's suspicious. Yeah, 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 very much. Um, so he, he moves on to his second lead, which is this search for the man on the tour. Um, and first he ends up visiting Franklin, the bad dad, you know, the guy who's a <laughs> yeah. father of Laura Lyons. Yeah. Um, and he's in, he's in celebratory mood, is Franklin, because he's just won two legal cases, which seem sort of diametrically opposed. One is um, he's managed to secure a, a right of way for the commoners to walk across this rich guy's land. Yeah. Um, and on the other hand, he's managed to um, ban the commoners from having picnics on one of their favourite spots. He is. He's <laughs> bringing... He's Alan Partridge. He's not Sherlock Holmes as Alan Partridge. It's this fella. Deary me. Yeah. Um, Franklin, so there's, there's that. I mean, what a guy. What a guy this person is. And, um, he also thinks, frankly, when Franklin isn't sort of fighting obscure legal cases just to irritate people, he sits on his roof um, looking through his telescope to see what's going on. He's just the world's worst neighbour, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. the, I, th- I get the feeling he sits looking through the telescope to find infractions so he can fight another legal case. Yeah, you would actually end up building a, a, a slightly beyond code massive garden fence just to keep his binoculars out of your back garden, no chance he would have that fence down in two shakes of a <laughs> barrister's <laughs> wig <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah finally after I, I assume decades of uh, useless um, just annoyance Franklin actually does something useful here in that he's seen he thinks he's seen the convicts on the moors, or at least whoever brings the food to the convicts on the moors. Mm. And at first, Watson thinks, oh dear, Barrymore's in trouble here. <laughs> but it's, it, it turns out it's not. It's this child who's coming to and from the village to bring food out to some guy on the moor. And Watson realises it isn't the convict, it's this mysterious man on the tour. Yeah. Um, Watson, after his failure at Coombe Tracy with Laura Lyons, he is does a pretty bit of a masterclass here on wheeling out information from a difficult character. Um, by He basically keeps feigning disinterest to get this Franklin to explain more things because he knows as soon as he shows any interest, Franklin will just shut him down because yeah. that's what he likes. He's the kind of guy he is. He just likes to annoy people. Yeah. So he manages to get a lot of extra info out just by saying, oh, that doesn't sound particularly interesting. Oh, there's probably an easy explanation for that. Yeah. And Franklin just, just gives it all up. Classic. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Holmes's deduction techniques involve like elaborate disguises and being fantastic at voices and deduction and connections at the highest and the lowest levels of society. And Watson's approach is just to look increasingly bored and it works <laughs> just as well. Uh, so Watson heads out onto the trail. He reaches um, one of the huts in the, uh, in the Neolithic village finds it empty but not entirely empty there's nobody there but there are signs of habitation i quite like one of them the fact there's what is effectively a sleeping bag 
on this Neolithic slab where this sort of early man would have slept. And yeah. this guy's there. Obviously, this this person sleeping there now. Yeah. Um, and he comes across this paper, which um, it's notes of Dr. Watson's movements. So this guy's been watching Watson. Hmm. Weird. Hmm, yeah, a bit odd. And once again, since we've since we've raised the possibility of the existence of the Victorian sex pest, um, <laughs> do you think he just fancies him and he's just really bad at saying it? Because what you do in that society, if you fancy somebody, is act in a horrifyingly creepy manner. <laughs> Interesting when we find out who it is in a minute. Um, <laughs> just before that, um, Watson has time just to sort of stand in the doorway and just to enjoy the late afternoon. And to be honest, it was just a short paragraph of description, but I found it very evocative. It, I could almost see it. This, uh, how yeah. the moor looked very, very peaceful and tranquil and actually quite, quite nice on a, on a late afternoon. Mm. Um, the, the atmosphere is shattered as he hears the footsteps of the returning mystery man. So he goes and hides in a corner waiting mm. for him to so he gets a good sight of him before he reveals himself and it turns out that he knows the guy because the missing man is in fact <laughs> Sherlock Holmes there he is turns up 70% of the way through his own free in book Holmes Holmes I was like Oh yeah, here he is. Do you get the impression with this book, by the way, that this is sort of like the episode of the sitcom where they do it and where everybody's been really successful and everybody's salaries have just got a bit out of hand. And so you can only afford now to have two or three of the characters in each episode so you can pay for it all. <laughs> I definitely think it's that sort of, yeah, there's an element of that um, sort of really expensive American sitcom where someone famous just walks in and everybody, che- like the studio audience, just cheers. I could just see that happening. Ah, like, Holmes yeah. walks through the door, walks in. pauses, Woo! waits for the cheer. <laughs> on a side note, by the way, didn't you always find that really weird when you were growing up and there'd be American sitcoms on TV and somebody would walk in and the crowd would go nuts and you'd be like, ooh? Who is he? Ooh? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yeah. yeah. There's more than an element of that there, though. Yeah, yeah, so that is where we end for today with a big sort of a big reveal, but um, also just to wet your taste buds for next time. The next chapter, as we said, is called Death on the Moor. <gasps> Gasp! Gasp, indeed. Um, so we'll come back next week with our third and final part of our read-through of uh, The Hound of the Baskervilles. Uh, Dave, how are you feeling about it at this stage? I'm feeling pretty good about it. I mean, we've taken a, a slightly strange detour through the sort of um, you know courtship and marriage mores of rural England in the 1880s but you know I, I'm, I'm game Arthur's, Arthur's mm. taken us on a ride and I'm up for that um, mm. and, and what with the promise that there'll be death on the moor next time probably something to do with uh, Dr. Watson walking too close to a muddy puddle and everybody just giving up on him then and there and leaving him to starve <laughs> I, I, I don't think, see how I think I it's a spaniel. But you think you said there's been a dog out there since last time, and somebody eventually finally walks back out past that particular blasted heath, and it's just it's just just above the waterline. <laughs> I reckon so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm I'm the same. I'm I'm enjoying the ride at the moment. It's a, it's I've never had a, read a uh, Sherlock Holmes book before, but this is this is a lot of fun. 
Mm. So uh, we will return if you've got any feedback uh, on the book uh, or on the podcast. As ever, you can send them to sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. We have got a bit about um, the Hound of the Baskervilles, but I think I'm going to save it till till uh, next week so we just, we'll just do all the feedback in one big roundup. but if you want to get involved uh, that's the email to send it to sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com we're also on twitter at sharkliveroil until yeah, next time Dave until next time Matt stay away from the balls brilliant <laughs> was that your dog thing <laughs> no that was just me screaming but it's nice that I sound the same <laughs> as a dog outstanding